This is chapter 37. They were going to discuss uh, a topic that is a little bit of a hot topic, uh, has been for a while, and it's about fairness and equality and justice and justness. And so I want to talk about some things tonight uh, dealing with that and what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, examples that we have when things are, are, are unfair, good examples, bad examples uh, to learn from when, uh, when things are, are, are what we determine as unfair. Uh, how can we actually know if things are fair or not? And uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that tonight. So if you'll find your place there in, in Genesis chapter 37, uh, we'll go ahead and start. But um, when things aren't fair or equal, what are, uh, what are things that normally happen? What are reactions that we normally get? Angry? Frustrated? What else? When, when we determine something's not fair or equal, why did that happen to them? We start questioning, why, why them and not me? Or why me and not them? What's that? Protesting? We've gotten a lot of that lately. Anything else? Those are all good answers. Some people cry? Yeah, it's, uh, it's frustrating. I mean, think about your own reactions. And, and maybe, maybe you're like, ah, whatever. Think about your reactions as a kid. How many of y'all have brothers or sisters? Awesome. How many of y'all have older brothers or older sisters? Awesome. Were things ever unfair in your home? All the time, right? Man. I'm the, I'm the youngest. <laughs> I'm the youngest of three. And so, like... I grew up in Mexico, and in Mexico, if you want to get around anywhere, you go on a bus. You know, city buses everywhere. And, um, and so by like 11, 12 years old, my brother was going to downtown Monterey on a bus and hanging out with his friends. I didn't get to go to downtown Monterey on a bus just with my friends without another adult until I was like 15 or 16. I mean, how fair is that? Very unfair, and I let my parents know for like three years, all right? Um, so... Uh, uh, stuff like that, you know, and I whined, I complained. Of course, my brother thought that they were being unfair towards him because of the way that they acted towards me. And that's just because I was better behaved than he was. And uh, it wasn't that they were being unfair. He was just getting in trouble all the time. And uh, probably not true. I got in trouble a lot. But, um, but then, of course, my sister being the middle child, she thought everything was unfair because she was the middle child and she's the forgotten one. But she's not the forgotten one, really, because she's the only girl. And my brother and I saw that the way they treated her was like, oh, she's the princess of the family. And they, they love her and treat her really well because she's the only girl. That's the way we saw it. Of course, she saw it as the, uh, as the bemoaned middle child. How many of y'all are middle children? Yeah, it's rough. It's what I hear. It's what I hear. And, uh, and nobody ever remembers the middle child or anything like that. And <laughs> was she forgotten? I was not forgotten. Why was it fair for me all the time? Because Rob was forgotten something. All righty. Well, I didn't want this to become family feud tonight. <laughs> I did. I sure did. I opened up that can of worms. Let's, let's go ahead and shed that one. And, uh, but uh, when things aren't fair or equal, a lot of times we get frustrated. Somebody mentioned that. Somebody mentioned angry. Uh, when, that, when that anger gets to a point, I mean, there's fighting. Okay? And so a lot of times, you know, growing up, I didn't fight with my mom and dad because of the unfairness. 
I took it out on my brother. My brother didn't fight with my mom and dad. You know, we argued a bit or whatever. They argued a bit. But, uh, but then he'd take it out on me. He's five years older than I am, so he could very well take it out on me. Um, my sister would take out her frustrations of, of unfairness on us as well. And uh, my brother was a pushover for her. I stood up to myself. It was hilarious. It's completely off topic. But I remember one time, like, uh, my brother, like, shoved her. And she just started crying. And so I was like, yeah, Darla. She's like, ah. You know, she's the one that just had her ninth kid. Uh, we get along now. Well, well now. But uh, before I was 13, we did not get along well. And so I was like, ha ha, yes. She got her comeuppance or whatever. I didn't know what comeuppance was in, when I was 12 anyway. But anyway, that's what I was thinking along those lines. And then she was crying. And then my brother did something that he never did with me because I would cry when he would hit me. Um, was he looked at my sister crying. And he goes, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And she, was, she just kept on crying. And he was like, here, here, you can hit me. You, you can bite me if you want to. And I was like, why don't I ever get that? That's not fair. That does have something to do with my lesson tonight. I didn't even realize it. It's not fair. I never got free punches or bites on my brother or anything like that. I had to pay for those. But um, dearly. But anyway, when, uh, when we get frustrated enough, when we get, when we get angry because of things that we see as, as unfair or unequal, uh, we start to fight for it. We, we at least vocalize how unfairly we're being treated. And, and when we do this, you know what we normally find? Uh, uh, we normally find people who have no concept of fairness. Not really. What we find is people who have a different concept of fairness. Because like was just, was just explained, you know, each of us think that our older sibling, younger sibling, middle sibling, whatever, was treated more fairly than we were, and because that's, that's our point of view. Of course, you get into their point of view, and they were, they, oh no, it's completely fair, and they're being, I'm being treated unfairly, and you're being treated more than fair, etc. Alright? So, um, uh, we find that people have a different concept of fairness. I mean, even, even now in, in the protests and everything like that, you have people that, uh, uh, that were protesting last year and the year before last, and, and, and each protest had a different concept of fairness. There were protests, then there were counter-protests, uh, uh, and, and all sorts of stuff, and, and everyone was different. And he, even people in the same protest with the same group as they were being interviewed they were saying certain things should be, and then other ones were saying, oh, no, but fairness would be even this. Other, people, other things that other people didn't mention. Whether that's fairness in government, fairness in families, fairness at work, we all have a concept of what fair should be. Um, and, and the fight for equality and the fight for fairness is, is ultimately a fight for, for a word that I want. Uh, it's, called, it's called justness. Not justice. Justice is good to have. But justness. When the Bible says that God is just... That means fair. It means righteous. Um, a righteously fair. Um, and so we have this fight for fairness. There is a, uh, there's a man named Hiro Onoda. He died not too, not, actually not too long ago. But uh, Hiro Onoda was a Japanese soldier during World War II. He was stationed at the island of Lubang in the, the Philippines. And he was told when he was dropped there with his unit, uh, whatever you do, you fight to the death against the enemy. The enemy would be the American and Filipino forces that were, that were going to come there. And you fight to the death. You do not give up 
and you do not take your own life, because that was part of their culture as well, as well for shame, and under no circumstances should you give up unless you are relieved of your duties, and under no circumstances are you to take your own life. So Hiro Onoda and, and, and his unit, they fought. And not too many days later after they were dropped there and given those instructions, sure enough, the American forces, the Filipino forces came in and, and killed most of that unit. Hiro Onoda, along with three or four other men, went to hide in the jungles and in the hills. Uh, in 1945, the Japanese surrendered to American forces. Hiro Onoda did not get the memo. He and his men were still fighting, were still harassing uh, American troops that were stationed there. And after, after years, and the American troops pulled out, there, there was Filipino police stations and, and storage depots. Hiro Onoda would go out and, and, and harass those as well and sabotage and steal and do everything he could as a guerrilla fighter to complete his orders, which were, um, uh, which were uh, to, to continue fighting against the enemy and do not give up. When they figured out that it was a Japanese soldier up in these hills, uh, uh, the rest of his friends had either given up or died that, that had survived that, that initial attack. Uh, they found out that it was one Japanese soldier up in these hills that kept on causing problems. So they flew over and they dropped a whole bunch of leaflets explaining that the Japanese had given up, explaining that, that the uh, Imperial Japanese Army had given the orders to cease fighting, to lay down your arms, and to give up and, and turn yourself into American forces. Hiro Noda thought it was a joke, a trick. And he was like, nope, not doing it. And he continued. Um, he continued till 1974 to fight Filipino and American forces. That's 29 years after the war had ended. Um, and so uh, none of that pertains to this tonight. But I wanted you to give, get a background on somebody of this quote that, that I found. Uh, his name was, like I said, Hiro Noda. And he said in, a, in an interview that was given many years afterwards, uh, he said this quote. He said, life is not fair and people are not equal. Life is not fair and people are not equal. And you might say, well, I agree with the first part. I think if we look back on 2020, I think all of us would say, man, life isn't fair. If you look back on 2019, you might say, man, life isn't, life isn't fair. And, uh, and I think we all understand that, that the fairness and the justice and the equality that we would like is, is, a is a consequence of sin. Not having that is a consequence of sin. And, uh, but the second part is, I think, where people will have a, uh, an issue with. Is people are not equal. Now, Hiro Noda did not say that people were not valued equally. In the simplest form of the word equal that was translated from him speaking Japanese, it was translated people are not equal. The simplest form of that, of that word is same. People are not the same. And how many of y'all can say, I understand people are not the same? I mean, look, if you have a twin, anybody here have a twin? No, I, we know, I think all of us know sets of twins. We can see that even in twins that are identical, they're not the same. Different personalities, different everything. They may look the same, but people aren't the same. And because people aren't the same, people don't think the same. People aren't brought up the same way. And even people that are brought up the same way don't have the same view as everybody else. Um, uh, then our concept of fairness and equality also is not the same. Um, and so what I want to point out tonight is that we all have different ways of interpreting words, different ways of interpreting ideas and concepts such as equality and fairness and justice. The Bible teaches that God is just. 
But I think we probably all either know or have heard of people that look at God and are angry at God because in their eyes they believe that he's not just, that he's not fair, that he's not righteous. Um, to be just means to have behavior that is morally right and fair. And this is a good definition. But demanding justness, we run into the same problem that every, everybody has a different concept of what is just and what is not. And the problem comes down to a word, and it's called morality. Um, if I define my own morality, if I define what is right and what is wrong, my definition of morality is going to be different than your definition of morality. Okay, if we have 45 people here tonight, we'll probably get 45 different answers, although similar, of what is right and what is wrong. And then there'll be some things that some people go, no, that is definitely wrong. And some people say, no, that is definitely right. And then you have this whole... Well, that's not fair. That's not right. Argument. And then, uh, so how do we get beyond that? What's the solution? The solution is allowing God to define morality. Okay? He then would define what is morally right and wrong and fair and unfair. And we can let God define morality because we know that God is perfect. And we can let God define morality because we also know uh, that God is sovereign. Okay, we need to understand that God is sovereign. A sovereign means he's supreme. Uh, the word sovereign means supreme ruler, possessing supreme or ultimate power, being independent and making choices without outside interference. If we recognize God as sovereign, and he is sovereign, then we must recognize him as the supreme ruler, as someone uh, who has supreme and ultimate power, who's independent and makes choices without needing our input or anybody else's input. Uh, supreme means superior to all others. Okay? When we recognize that God is sovereign, we'll stop worrying about the life that's unfair. We'll stop worrying about whether everything is equal and, and just or not. And don't get me wrong, as children of God, we should be concerned with equality. We should be concerned with fairness. And in everything that we, that we, uh, that we do, in every way that we treat other people, we should attempt to treat them justly, according to God's standards. Uh, but we also need to understand, I think we all do, that we aren't always treated right. We aren't always treated fairly, even to God's standards. We aren't always treated justly, and uh, uh, especially to our standards. And, and so there's two reactions that I want to see tonight about what we can do, what decisions we can make when life seems to be unfair and when things don't seem to go our way. Go to Genesis chapter 37. Hope you're there already. We'll start in verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 4. And it says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, uh, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel, uh, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably unto him. All right. So we're going to look at two different responses to unfairness. Right now we're going to look at Joseph's brother's response. Okay. Joseph had 11 brothers. All right. He had 10 older brothers and a younger brother. And uh, that's a lot. That's a big family. 
And, uh, and Joseph's dad was Jacob, who's also known as Israel. So when we, when we, as we go through and read this, when you notice the word Jacob and Israel, it's the same person. Um, but, uh, but Jacob had four baby mamas, all right? He had Leah, Rachel, Zilpah, and Bilhah, okay? Zilpah and Bilhah were, uh, were, were Leah and Rachel's servants that he ended up marrying also, okay? So messed up family, all right? And, uh, and, and so here you have Jacob, and he's, he's had Joseph, and the Bible says very explicitly, Joseph was his favorite. He loved Joseph more than anybody else because Joseph was the son that was born to him in old age. But not only that, he was born to his favorite wife. All right? And, uh, and so, so you have Jacob loves Joseph, and all the brothers know that their dad loves Joseph more than any of them. And they're like, this isn't fair. And Joseph gets the good clothes. So Joseph gets this coat of many colors. Everybody else had like a solid color coat. And, uh, but Joseph gets a, a coat of many colors. And, and that was special back then. They're like, oh, great. You know, Joseph gets the Nikes and I get the Payless shoes. That's not great. Okay. Um, and so... They're angry. And the Bible says in verse 4 that when the brethren saw that the father loved him more than all, his, than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Uh, their response to legitimate unfairness was hatred. They hated him so much they didn't have anything nice to say to him or about him. They were hateful in the way they spoke to him. Look at verse 5, uh, 5 through 8. It says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to all his brethren. They hated him yet more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I, which I have dreamed. Uh, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and, and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. They bowed to his sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. They had nothing good to say about him. And they had nothing good to think about him. They were sarcastic with him. Oh, wow, you think you're going to reign over us? Uh, because Joseph, you know, and, and I'm sure I was that little brother. Probably not, but I'm sure I probably was. Uh, th- that always wanted to show up the older brother. All right? I always try to be better than my older brother. It didn't happen very often. And, um, but when I was, man, I, when, it, when I did something good, I'd go and tell him. Be like, ha, ah, look at this. And... Uh, and so Joseph goes to his brother and he says, hey, we, I had this dream. And, uh, and we were all cutting down sheaves of wheat and I had mine and I bundled mine up and it stood straight up. And all of y'all's were like <laughs> floppy. And they were all bowing to mine. Now, they put a lot of stock in dreams back then because that's one of the ways that God spoke to people back then. He was speaking dreams. And so the brothers immediately get defensive. They're like, what? What are you saying? We're going to bow to you? I don't think so, Joseph. Get out of here. And now we hate you more, by the way. Uh, And so uh, they were mocking him. They tried to humiliate him. Uh, It wasn't funny. It was hateful. And Joseph's brothers were hateful to him. And instead of listening and taking an interest in what their brother had to say, they derided him. They hated him the more. Uh, But not only were they hateful, uh, they were envious. Look at verse 9 through 11. It says, and he dreamed yet another dream. And told his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And I'm sure the brothers are going, Great. Now what? So, Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. 
And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren, brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, uh, to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the same. Listen, his dad actually took time to listen to him. Then asked him about it. And he had the same kind of initial response. What? What do you think? I'm going to bow to you. Your mom's going to bow to you. Your 11 brothers are all going to bow to you. Probably not. But then the Bible says he observed the same. So he kept it. He molded over. He started thinking about the things that Joseph was saying. The brothers, on the other hand, had this response. They envied him. Why? I don't know if Jacob ever took the time to talk to his other sons. Uh, but, and, and think about what they had to say. But maybe that was a reason to be envious. I mean, they were already envious that he was the favorite. So here's some, something else to be envious about. Uh, so they had hatefulness. They had envy. They started conspiring against him. In verses 12 through 18, his brothers started to talk about, about ways to get rid of Joseph. It says, his brother went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Joseph, uh, sorry, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. One of the things that my kids love the most, I'm sure, is when I or Tasha tell them, Hey, go check on your brothers and tell me what they're doing. Yeah. If you're a any kind of brother, especially if you were like an older sibling and you're a little nosy, younger step, uh, a sibling came in and was like, hey, what y'all doing? I'm going to tell mom. <laughs> and so Jacob goes and tells Joseph, Joseph, your brothers are feeding sheep, right? He's like, yeah. He said, go check on them and tell me what they're doing. Tell me what they're up to. Okay. So off he goes. I don't know if he was that little or not, but he, there goes Joseph, all right? And, uh, and his brothers see him from far away and they're like, great. Here comes the dreamer. Here comes the tattletale. They put up the gambling money. I don't know what they were doing. Everybody stop. Stop talking that way. Stop. Start feeding the sheep like we're supposed to be because otherwise you're going to tell dad. All right? And, uh, and look. Um, verse 15, it says, And a certain man found him, and, and behold, he was wandering in the field. Joseph was. And a man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to slay him. Now it's not just like, great, here he comes. Now they're like, okay, this is it. We're going to kill him. We're going to be done with Joseph, and we're going to kill him. All right? You got 11 brothers. Well, you got 10 brothers that are, uh, that are now conspiring against Joseph to kill him. Before he even gets into speaking range, all right? In verse 20, it says, Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say that some evil beast have devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Let's see if we ever bow down to him. You can't bow down to him if he's dead. Okay, verse 21, And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. Okay? Uh, now, Reuben, Reuben was the oldest. Okay, and you might think, well, you know, that's noble of Reuben. It's not. Uh, we'll read later on that Reuben was just interested in, in what would become of him. Because as the oldest, if Joseph would have died, the responsibility would have fallen mainly on Reuben. And, uh, and so he's like, look, don't kill him. And he goes off. And, and as the other brothers are there, they see some slavers. And they're like, hey, we could sell Joseph. And, uh, and then some Midianite traders come by and, and they sell Joseph. They grab Joseph, they put him in this pit. And Joseph's like, hey, let me out. 
They're like, shut up. And then come these Midianite traders. And they grab Joseph and they, they sell him. And uh, they take away his, his tunic. And, uh, and they get 20 pieces of silver for him. And they start dividing that up. That's, that's, if there were 10, that's two apiece, if my math is right. They get two pieces of silver each for, for Joseph. They don't have to hear his dreams anymore. They don't have to hear him tattling anymore about it. And well, Reuben comes back and he's like, all right, where's Joseph? He looks in the pit and he's not there. And he's like, oh, great. What's going to happen to me now? Okay, all he's worried about is himself. He's selfish, just like the other ones are. We can get rid of Joseph and make money on it. Great. And so they conspire. They're like, well, you know, we sold them. Here's your money, by the way. And uh, what are we going to do? Well, we have his coat. Let's rip it up, kill one of these goats, and put their blood all over it. We'll take it to dad and say, a beast got him, a wild animal. And they do that. And they go and they take their, uh, their brother's mangled coat now and ripped up coat, and they show it to uh, Jacob. And they say, Father, is this one of your son's coats? And Jacob looks at it, and he instantly recognizes it. He goes, this is my son's coat. And, uh, and he begins to cry. And they said, we found it. He must have gotten eaten up by a, by a wild animal. And, and, and Jacob mourns. The end of this chapter talks about Jacob just, just mourning. And, 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 and the other brothers, they try to comfort him. And his wives try to comfort him, and he won't be comforted. He said, I'm going to mourn until the day I die. And even knowing that, the other brothers are like, well, that's it. We're not saying anything. They've conspired and everything. They're selfish. They're envious. They're hateful. That's one response. And see, but nobody ever thinks. You know, I'm sure these brothers never thought, it's not Joseph's fault that dad likes Joseph more than us. We normally don't think that. We normally don't think that, well, it's, it's, it's unfair. And so instead of looking for the source of the unfairness, we just look at what's unfair and we get angry at it or at that person. It's not Joseph's fault that he was loved more by his dad. It's not Joseph's fault that he got a coat of many colors and, and, and didn't. It's not Joseph's fault that he was obeying his dad and tattling on his brothers. Okay? It's not Joseph's fault. It was Jacob's fault. Did they go and get mad at Jacob? No, they were, they, they were so blinded by hatred and anger and frustration and bitterness that they took it out on Joseph. And what happens a lot of times is that in our unfairness, we take it out on somebody and we don't realize that the unfairness that we are now giving towards somebody else and showing towards somebody else is greater than the unfairness that was shown to us. Because how fair was it for Joseph to be sold into slavery? How fair was it for Joseph to have 11 brothers or 10 brothers that hated him? How fair was it for Joseph to be mocked every time that he showed up? So much so that, and hated so much that, that his brothers, finally he showed up one, more time, one time too many. And they were like, let's just kill him. How fair was that? Joseph didn't do anything to deserve that. Well, it looks like Joseph's response now. Chapter 39, we see Joseph once again. Verse 1 through 6. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard of an Egyptian, uh, sorry, as captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him off the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And uh, he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. 
And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him an overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and all that he had in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not uh, he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. You have Joseph, a slave, being sold now to Potiphar. The, the Midianites bought him, they sold him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites bought him, they sold him to Potiphar. And Potiphar is like secret service for Pharaoh, head of it. And so now Joseph is serving Potiphar. And he's a slave. And it's not fair. And yet, the Bible says, we don't see a whole lot of Joseph's response. But the Bible says that God was with him. The Bible says that, uh, um, uh, it says the Lord was with him. Then in verse 3 it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord made all that he did to prosper. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. That doesn't sound like, you know, Joseph was a mean-spirited person. Okay, it sounds like Joseph was a Psalm 1 kind of person. So if you'll, if you'll hold a finger there in, uh, in Genesis 39 and go over to Psalms, I want to take a look at the kind of person that God blesses, the kind of person that God gives blessings to and prospers. You might say, wait, hold on a second. Joseph was prospering. I thought he was a slave. Yes, he was a slave. But everything that Joseph did turned out right. Everything that Joseph did was blessed and turned out well. And look at what uh, Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's a pretty good description of what's happening to Joseph. Even in the unfairness, God is blessing him. Even in the unfairness, he's prospering. Yeah, he's a slave. And that was kind of out of his thing. But God allowed it because he's sovereign. And even in all of this, uh, uh, God is prospering Joseph. And so, uh, that tells me a couple of things about Joseph. Tells me that Joseph was somebody that loved the Lord. Because the Bible says that blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, uh, but delights in the law of the Lord. He loved God. He loved uh, uh, being close to God. And so as he was being close to God, even in the unfairness, God was blessing him. And uh, you have Joseph's response there. God's continual presence and blessing were upon Joseph. And it tells us about Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, that he was a Psalm 1 kind of person. But Psalm 38, uh, 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalm 40, verse 4 says, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. Psalm 84, 12 tells us, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. So I believe that Joseph trusted in the Lord, that he put God in first place like he was supposed to, that he put his trust in the Lord. And, uh, and that he praised God despite the things that were going on around him. In the unfairness of, of life, so often we blame God and we turn our backs on him and we distance ourselves from God, but not Joseph. In the unfairness of his life, he continued having a faith and a steadfast faith, uh, steadfast faith in God. Joseph was a man that trusted God no matter what. He obeyed God no matter what. He was faithful to God no matter what. 
And these are the things that God blesses. And God had his continual hand upon Joseph, even as a slave. And if you continue reading chapters 39 and 40, you just see bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happening to Joseph. Joseph's a slave and he sold to the Egyptians. Now he's a slave of the Egyptians. Then Joseph's doing great in Potiphar's house. And, and, and then the wife of Potiphar falsely accuses Joseph of, of attempted rape. And so Potiphar comes home and she tells Potiphar. And Potiphar throws him in prison. And we're like, great. And Joseph continued to be trustworthy. And, and continued to trust in the Lord and have faith in the Lord. And to obey and to seek God. And because of that, he prospered even in prison. He was made the overseer of the prison. Just like he had previously been overseer of Potiphar's house, now he's overseer of the prison. The Bible says that in, that in Potiphar's house, uh, uh, Potiphar didn't know whatever. He, he didn't realize everything that he had on the books that was his. He said all he knew was the food that he ate that was his. Joseph had more knowledge of the possessions that Potiphar had and control over it than Potiphar knew. Now he's in prison and they make him overseer of the prisoners. So much so that the guards didn't really check on what was going on. (laughs) Yeah, Joseph's got it. He'll handle it. And so Joseph organized the prison and he organized the prisoners and, and, and all the things that they needed to do, all the work that they needed to do. It was in Joseph's hand, the Bible says. And so he's being prospered, prospered in an unfair situation. Why? Because his outlook on things is good. He's looking at God and he's trusting God that he is sovereign. But then he's in prison and he makes a friend. It was the ex-butler of the, of the king of, of Egypt, of the pharaoh of Egypt. And this butler had had this disturbing dream. And he said, Joseph, can you, can you interpret this dream? And, and Joseph interprets the dream. And he says, hey, what the dream means is that you're going to get out of prison here in a few days. And you're going to go back to serving the, uh, uh, the Pharaoh. And the butler's like, great. And Joseph says, hey, when you get out in a couple days, tell the Pharaoh about me. Tell him that I'm here unfairly. And maybe he'll let me out. And so the butler says, Sure. And the brother goes off, and sure enough, a few days later, he, he's released and back into his old job. And guess what? The butler forgets. How unfair. Joseph helps him out, but then the butler doesn't help Joseph out. And that's unfair. And for, I don't know how long, Joseph is in this prison unfairly. And finally, the butler remembers because the Pharaoh has a dream. Oh, yeah, I know somebody can interpret that dream for you. But how unfair is Joseph's life so far? Listen. During all this unfairness and all of this mistreatment, all this unjustness, Joseph probably didn't understand why things were the way they were. All he understood was that God is sovereign. All he understood was that God is sovereign. And so, understanding that God is sovereign, he just took it. And he was still faithful to God. We never see Joseph crying out, unfair! Why me? All we see of Joseph is faithfulness and obedience. He knew that he was not God. Turn quickly to Genesis chapter 50. This is now towards the end of Joseph's life. Jacob has died. Joseph has saved all of Egypt because of his wisdom and saved his family from a famine because of his wisdom. 
Uh, he brings his family all to live in Egypt, gives them the best of the land, and they live in, the, in, in, in some of the best land there in Egypt. And, uh, and so uh, there's his dad, and now his dad dies. And there's his brothers, and they're like, okay, dad's dead now. Nothing's holding Joseph back from getting even with us. And so they go before Joseph, and they're like, Joseph, you know what happened all those years ago? I'm so sorry. And look at chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. Joseph has this response. And this tells us what his heart was through it all. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Yeah, it did come to pass that Joseph's dream were fulfilled. His brothers all did bow to him. And didn't realize that was Joseph that was there in charge of Egypt when they came asking for food. And now... Jacob's dead. And they say, man, Joseph's going to kill us now. He spent so many years in prison. He spent so many years as a slave. Unfairly, unjustly. We lied to him. We lied to dad about him. He's probably mad about that. And we, we got to do something. And they go and they crawl on their faces in front of Joseph. And, and Joseph says, am I God? I'm not God. But so many times in unfair times in our life, we change this, God is sovereign, to I am sovereign. And we take a recognition of God being sovereign. And it's easy to see God sovereign when everything's turning out our way and everything's fair according to us. When things are bad, we go, God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? Why did you allow me to lose my job? Why did you allow me to lose my family? Why did you allow me, why did you allow me to, to go through this? Why are you allowing these things to happen, God? And we, we want to rebuke God and, 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 and rebel against God and, and we distance ourselves and, and people stop going to church and people stop reading their Bible because, well, God's just not being fair. But we've got to understand that God is sovereign and that He's sovereign and in His sovereignty, He is right and fair and has a plan in His sovereignty. And Joseph didn't understand the plan while he was sitting there as a slave or while he was in the pit or while he was in prison. He didn't understand until much later in his life, and he was able to tell his brothers, you all meant it for evil. And the world may be mean to you, and other people may be, may be mean to you and unfair to you for evil, and that's their plan. But God has a promise that those that love God, those that, it's not just a, oh yeah, I feel love towards God. It's, it's an active love. You love God, and you're following Him, and you're trusting Him. You love God, then He is working things out for your good. It may not be in your plan, but it's for your good, and it's for His glory. So Joseph understood that he wasn't God. He understood that God is sovereign. Uh, he understood that by following God faithfully, it would not only bless him, but it would bless others, and, and it did. Think of the last time that things were unfair for you. It may have been just this week. It may have been today. But think of the last time things were unfair for you. How did you respond? Did you throw a fit? Did you act hatefully? Did you conspire to give somebody a taste of their own medicine? Did you act enviously? Did you blame God? Did you distance yourself from Him? About 11 years ago, I'll close with this, I heard an evangelist preach on the two words 
that are the most effective at settling ourselves when things are out of control. Um, For a little while, as he said, there's two words that will settle you when things are out of control, when things seem unfair, when things just, you can't control anything and it's all out of your hands, two words. And and I'm sitting there going, well, what are the two stinking words? I need this. (laughs) And they're really small words. The two words go together and it's, oh well. I'm not God. And if something's out of my control, Joseph being in that pit was out of his control. Joseph being in that prison was out of his control. Joseph being a slave was out of his control. Joseph being forgotten was out of his control. And Joseph could have fought and gotten angry and gotten bitter. But I believe Joseph had the attitude of, oh well, God knows. And then just kept on being faithful. Oh well is a statement of understanding that you have no control over a situation. The next two words out of our mouths need to be God knows. And that sets up our attitude for obedience to the Lord throughout the unfair situation. Which sets up our lives to be blessed not only after the unfairness, but during the unfairness. Let me ask you tonight, what's your typical response? We'll pray and we'll be close for this evening.